Did you know nuclear energy is America's largest full-time source of climate-friendly power? In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. That's almost as much as all the solar panels, wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, and all other clean energy sources combined. Energy Northwest is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Its mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit our website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and the editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fortney. We're here with some of our top stories from recent. Jason, how are you doing? Great, Dan. How are you? Greetings from snowy Northern California. I, I'm snow good. up there too, huh? Yeah, we've got a, a little bit of snow that's been sticking around in Seattle, which is very unusual for this time of year. Uh, yeah. I actually had my kid's school closed down for a day last week because they lost power uh, from the snow, uh-huh. uh, which was really unusual. It was just a really kind of freak thing. Uh, but we lost power, too. So we were all huddled around the fireplace playing Monopoly, which oh. was great until like you remember five hours into it why don't like monopoly it never ends no it doesn't and i (laughs) I felt really bad like one of my kids was just having terrible luck she went all in on boardwalk and park place and just everybody we'd land like to the right of it in between them to the left of it and i just was like taking her money i i i feel bad i feel bad beating my kids at monopoly even when it's just dumb luck i relish it no i'm kidding i um (laughs) I'm finally at the point where I stopped letting my daughter win everything, but yeah. yeah, it does feel a little bit, a little bit cruel, but you know, life is cruel. Yeah. Welcome to life, kid. <laughs> as you, as you, as you, uh, pile up hotels on your property. Yeah. Right. Good stuff. I mean, they're, they're bankrupting us in real life. The least we can do is bankrupt them in monopoly. Yeah. It's time for a little payback. Yeah. Well, so what do you uh, what do you got for us this week from California? Okay. Well, I'll be discussing our uh, story on California Public Utilities Commission allowing Pacific Gas and Electric to exit step one of the enhanced oversight and enforcement process, and then a little bit from the California Energy Commission hearing last week that was focused on gasoline prices, but also got into some Zev uh, zero emission vehicle integration topics. These are both stories from Ann Ernst. So I'll be talking about those. Well, I've got a story about Washington, Oregon, expected to adopt uh, gas-powered vehicle sales bans following California. And NewScale says that its small modular reactor program is on pace, even though costs are up a little bit. But first, before we get to that, we got market news. So the Southwest Power, uh, <laughs> the Southwest Power Pool, tripping over my own words there, released uh, its the final design, the 
broad stroke design for its Markets Plus proposal, and it's asking potential participants to give a non-binding commitment by early March on whether they want to move forward for the next phase of designing this proposed day ahead and imbalance markets for Western states outside of California. Entities have to sign a final contract committing to the next phase by April 1st. Energy producer PowerX has already committed to the next phase. So SPP released the final service offering, again, kind of broad strokes design, uh, November 30th. It sketches out the governance structure, price formation mechanisms, how it uh, dispatches the kind of theory about dispatching transmission and congestion rent allocation and how to handle carbon pricing, et cetera, et cetera. There's a mountain of details, though, to fill in, which will start in the next phase if they get enough buy-in. And uh, so far, it sounds like there's pretty wide interest among potential participants. Um, SPP says that it's expecting uh, when this goes live, which they are confident it will eventually, that they're going to have up to 90 participants, 30 balancing authorities with uh, a load they say could be about 50 gigawatts, which would almost be the same size as the full regional transmission organization that SPP runs in the Midwest. Uh, oh. So, yeah, a big step forward here. And um, some entities potentially are, they also included in this, a uh, SPP has told folks that they are looking at ways to allow entities to use Markets Plus as a stepping stone to joining a Western branch of the RTO that they've run in the Midwest for you know, more than I don't know, a couple of decades now. I'm not sure exactly how old it is, but it's it's been around for a while. All right. Yeah, some real momentum building there on that. And <clears throat> I'm really uh, quite profound noticing each week through your reporting how quickly this thing is coming together. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I, you know, I, I said outside of California, I, I should clarify. So this is would be outside of CAISO, the California sure. Independent System Operator, because there are some areas within California's boundaries that are not part of the CAISO organized market. But yeah, this will be a huge step forward for greater market collaboration and hopefully more efficient you know, uh, operation for the grid uh, in the Western U.S. And you're working on some reporting right now about um, Kaiso's counterproposal for its day ahead market, right? Yeah, I'll be uh, writing this week about the uh, final draft proposal for Kaiso's EDAM extended day ahead market that will be going across the the Western EIM and digging into that topic a little bit. Yep. So, so we have to kind of two parallel tracks there, as we've discussed. Yeah, well, looking forward to reading what you've got for us when you, that update it comes out. And right. now you've got a story about the latest twist and turn in the ongoing saga of PG&E. Yep, uh, California Public Utilities Commission at its December 1st meeting voted to allow PG&E to exit step one of the enhanced oversight and enforcement process. This had been on the, we were kind of, uh, surprised to see this on the consent consent agenda, but right before the meeting, they moved it uh, to the regular agenda, which meant it would be getting some discussion. Rachel Peterson, executive director of the CPC, said that PG&E had met all its obligations under the enhanced oversight, which was imposed in April 2021. 
quote, PG&E has executed corrective actions that address the reasons that the commission placed them in step one. Peterson said this action is one among numerous safety oversight actions related to PG&E that we are executing at the staff level. Um, but there was some discussion, you know, PG&E, obviously, and a lot of hot water in California still over wildfires, and, you know, ever since San Bruno. Um CPUC President Alice Bushing Reynolds said the decision does not absolve PG&E of its ongoing obligation to run a safe and reliable utility, nor does it conclude any ongoing oversight, monitoring, investigations of PG&E. Uh, Clifford Rextoffen said, "This is how uh, an, an illustration of how enhanced oversight and enforcement can be effectively used. It worked here. Of course, it's not a panacea. No one is suggesting it is." And then Commissioner Gen Genevieve Sharoma said, there are still many issues of PG&E's conduct and operations that merit attention, albeit outside of this resolution. Uh, so yeah, the enhanced oversight process came out of the most recent PG&E bankruptcy settlement. And uh, you know, I'm sure the commission will still be taking a close look at uh, PG&E's safety record and operations. All right. So hey, for those of us not in California, how how big is this um, moving out of the this oversight process? Um, I think it's fairly significant. You know, it um, PG&E is sort of the impression I get. Also, when you know they were taken off their their probate their felony probation. There's a recognition that things need to improve, but I think people want to move ahead. And, um, you know, it's somewhat controversial, I think, but uh, I think it's fairly significant. Uh, it's been in this in, in this process since April 2021. So, yeah, I think fairly significant. Yeah. Mm. Well, we have, I know that we are nowhere near done. With this, as I said, the ongoing saga of PG&E. Yes, like it's like the Iliad just keeps going. Oh man! I, I mean, I love the Iliad. It's great, great literature. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but it. Uh, but anyways, uh, back to energy. All right. So, uh, Washington and Oregon are expected on December nineteenth to adopt California emission standards to ban the sale of new gas-powered light-duty passenger cars, trucks, and SUVs by 2035. So as listeners can intuit, I'm sure this is a big step forward in terms of the kind of momentum, accelerating momentum in the shift to uh, electrification of transportation and states increasing willingness to uh, come in and push state policy to force the this transition. So uh, the Advanced Clean Cars 2 regulations were adopted by California Air Resource Board in August, and they require a percentage of all new light-duty passenger car, truck, and SUV sales starting in uh, year 2026. So they require a certain percentage of all those sales to be uh, zero-emission vehicles. And the percentage uh, starts off at 35% of all those sales in with the model year 2026, and it goes to 100% in 2035. So kind of uh, feathered in there, starting at 35%, 2026, 100% by 2035. So uh, the Washington's expected to take a look at this December 19th uh, and Oregon as well. So 
We will have an update on that soon. Now, you've got some zero emission vehicle news from California. Yeah, last week, the California Energy Commission's uh, hearing on gasoline price spikes got a great deal of attention. You know, we do look at gasoline prices here, but really we're more concerned with electric grid. There was uh, some discussion of ZEVs too. Um, Commissioners are seeking input from industry experts on how to make the transition. Um, Executive Director of the CEC, Drew Bohan, said this transition to electric vehicles appears to be inevitable. However, we also know Californians will still rely on gasoline during this transition. Of course, uh, we're seeing extremely high gas prices in California compared to the national average. That difference is about $2.61 a gallon. I can vouch for it myself. I was happy to see my Philip was back down in the double digits this weekend on my Tacoma. But uh, yeah, there's um, the the issue of oil and gas refineries, which California leadership are saying making huge windfall profits. Governor Gavin Newsom has called a special session of the legislature that began today, looking at what he is calling penalties on oil companies. That should be an interesting process. We'll be taking a look at that also. But, you know, there's a recognition that high gas costs will probably help the EV transition for obvious reasons, although high high gas prices particularly hit low-income drivers, and these are also the people that are less likely to be able to afford uh, ZEVs. So, CEC is considering a fuels transition study that would take into consideration the cost of petroleum fuels with the aim of understanding the impact of climate goals on the demand, reliability, safety, and affordability of petroleum fuels under various scenarios. So, yeah, uh, gas prices have come down here a little bit, as I mentioned, but uh, I imagine, you know, it has me thinking more about an EV. I know that you purchased one fairly recently, and how's that been working out for you? It's been great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's, I mean, we, I haven't driven very far in it. So I haven't had to deal with having to charge on the road. Yeah. So, you know, talk to me after I've done that a few times. Sure. And there's also, you know, the recognition we need a lot more charging. You know, it's funny where I live. I, I do drive a truck. I live in the mountains. I carry lots of things. Uh, I'm driving bad weather all the time. The power goes out all the time, although we have an off grid system. But, um, yeah, uh, we're a long way from the uh, the transition for trucks, but really, really getting there uh, quickly. With uh, I don't know. My 11-year-old wants a Rivian for Christmas. Okay. Yeah. And it, <laughs> she came out bold, and, yeah. and she asked for one for her birthday, too. This time, at least, wow. I think she was joking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's not happening for many reasons. Yeah. And we have the F-150 Lightning. Um, yeah. So this is a great, great space. I mean, we're talking a, a massive transformation here. And uh, it's an interesting time to be covering that whole issue for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so the last story that I've got for us today, the new scale is on track to submit its standard design application with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission this month uh, for its small modular reactor. So this Portland-based company's modular reactor could be among the first operational SMRs or small modular reactors in the U.S. It's doing this uh, in 
It's working with the Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, and they're working on a uh, developing a 462 megawatt small modular reactor uh, that'll be sited at the Idaho National Laboratory in Idaho Falls, Idaho. So New Scale's designing it, doing it with uh, UAMPS, Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, uh, and working in conjunction with the Idaho National Laboratory. And yeah, this is one of many projects that's coming along again, kind of faster than you. Than uh, I mean, it's I should say faster, but this stuff they've been working on this for years and years and years. But uh, it is just I don't know. It seems still futuristic to think about yeah. small modular reactors, but we're getting closer and closer every day to uh, these becoming a, a kind of routine part of the power grid. Yeah, it would be interesting. Of you know, you've been hearing about New Scale for years and years, as you said. But now, we're, now with this licensing, we're getting close, or the design approval, we're getting a lot closer. And uh, you know, they call them small, but 462 megawatts is not not tiny. So uh, yeah, and that, the the, uh, the biggest speed bump, biggest uh, uh, problem, whatever, however you want to characterize it, that's come up for this project is the cost of energy, the projected cost of energy for the project has drastically risen. Yeah. Uh, it started out at $55 per megawatt hour. That was revised and that was from 2016. They revised it up to $58 per megawatt hour in 2020. And now the levelized cost of energy for the project has nearly doubled. Like that said, the participants say that it is, you know, the project is still on, it's still viable. So they are hoping yeah. that it will get under $90 per megawatt hour. Yeah, that's that's pretty significant. Although, you know, all types of energy are uh, feeling the pinch right now. Supply chain, I was reading about wind this morning, taking a lot of hits because of the, the cost of metals. So, yeah, no one's safe from inflation. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, interesting to see this new technology coming in. Kind of exciting. And I don't know what it'll be. Like when it comes time to start citing these things and what people will have to say about that, uh, we'll be here to cover it. Yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Well, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review our podcast wherever you listen. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Catchpole, and Clearing Up is on Twitter at CU News Data. You can find California Energy Markets on Twitter at CEM News Data. That's the letter CEM News Data. I'm on there at Fordney Energy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>